Hey, good morning, Nashville. This is the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC, where we talk all things real estate. Man, spring has sprung in this dang town, man. You're over there jamming out. Look at dang GQ over there. He's all just like... talk. (laughs) That's why I don't sing for a living. Look, he's got that Dunkin' Donuts going, man. He's on the caffeine high still going. I am plugging hard today. (laughs) Man, what about this weather, man? I mean... We went right from fall to spring. We didn't really have a winter, and no, here it is. We've had a few cold days. Man. We've had a few, but nothing and like we've, we And we've had would. some rice rain. Well, see, that's because you don't get up until noon, you banker's hours or whatever you what guys do. What are you do. talking, man? At we... 6 o'clock in the morning when I'm out there cranking it already, sometimes it's in the 40s, which is beautiful. It's just great. I wish it would do that all year round. Chris, Be in the you... 40s and 70s in the afternoon, that'd be perfect. Chris, are you intentionally staying quiet over there, or you don't want him in the middle of this? Well, he has to work banker's hours, too, because he's got to talk to all you bankers. Do we work banker's hours? I'd like to know what banker's hours are. Yeah, that'd be nice. But uh, (laughs) the warm weather has come. Well, you know, where I live, they're building a few houses out. I live in the middle of nowhere, but they're actually building some houses there, and they're just loaded with folks. So I can always tell when the weather gets warm because people get out and start snooping around a little bit more. And, you know, whether they're looking or walking or whatever they're doing. But it's that time of year already. Yes, it is. It is amazing. We have 13. I counted this morning. We have 13 houses under construction, and I spent— Last Saturday, a week a week from today, and I'll be out of my trailer again today, telling everybody, no, that one's sold. No, that yep. one's sold. No, that one's yep. it's sold. Every, if you see it under construction, it's sold. sold. I can build a house for you in September, October. Does that work for you? No. Okay. <laughs> that was my conversation <laughs> all last week. I'm sure I'm going to have the same conversation today. I'm sure you have the whole com- that yeah. same conversation for the yeah. next several months. Yeah. But well, if you're sign. looking for a house in September or October, you can come by Capital Homes today over on Brockman Lane and Delvin Downs. Well, it takes time to build a house, so if you know, takes- I mean, even if we even if we didn't have the orders that we had, we still would be looking at July or August. Yeah. So it's not really that much longer than normal, yeah. but. Yeah. It's all good, but it's I mean that's what people have got to understand. I mean, people get out the average consumers. They just think, oh, let's go buy a house, not realizing the shortage of inventory, not realizing the frenzy that's going on in the market. And that's kind of uh, actually that's two of the topics we're going to talk today uh, on today's show. But, you know, if you missed last week's show, you need to go out to the Internet at MoneyManMike.net or on Facebook at MoneyManMikeRadio because we're new at the 11 o'clock time slot. But, man, we have recorded a ton of great material that you can go back and listen to the entire show. You can download it to your iPod or your Android device or whatever your MP3 player you take and go running, jogging, whatever. Videos, man, you can sit there and watch it and see the actual show. You can see the bloopers behind the scenes. I mean, it's just great, great content. So check it out again, moneymanmike.net or out on Facebook at Radio. And last week we talked with uh, Scott Gertner about the Gertner Company, or Gertner and Company, and getting into HOAs, homeowners associations, what you know that entails, how that works for you, how it's a benefit, and a bunch of the myths of how it's. Um, Man, that was an information packed. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have a. When bad we, when we put that stuff on our Capital Homes Facebook page, I must have you know because for the most part, people who are following our page mm. are people who bought a home from us. I mean, right. some people find other information because there's a lot of really great information. I, I got four or five phone calls just asking for clarification on this, that, or the other thing, and. Yeah. It was great. I I told them post it, put, put it on a question on there. I'll answer it. And they, yeah. they didn't want to do that. They're bashful, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, if so, yeah. You, you were talking about going to your Facebook page, and there's a lot of good home maintenance tips on Capital Homes from the previous radio yep. shows too. Yep. I mean, just go out and check out the resources, and you get out to the Facebook page with Money Man Mike or on the website at Money Man Mike Net, 
and you can get the links out to David's site, to Chris's site, mm-hmm. Andrew's site. I mean, all of our contact information is there. And out on Facebook, there's announcement cards. So anybody that's been on the show, you can get their information right there and call them direct. And so, yes, some of those photos are old. I still have hair. <laughs> Don't send me messages about that. Man, you, you're still, you're, you're both looking GQ over there today, oh, man. Oh, man. Hair. Hair was nice. I remember hair. <laughs> you still have hair, dude. <laughs> I'm going to get David one of those hats that have the f- hair built into it. So when you wear it, it's like sticking straight out there. So that way when he pulls it off, people are like, whoa. So uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I just got funny. this visual of um, um, Wayne's World with, <laughs> with uh, uh, what's the two guys' names, JT? Wayne and Garth. Wayne and Garth, yeah. yeah. And putting the hat on and doing stuff like that. That's the visual I got. Yeah, I, about Joe Dirt. Remember that? Oh gosh, <laughs> with the toupee that got glued <laughs> on yes, his head, yes, he couldn't yes, get off. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, we're going sideways into the yeah, weeds definitely right now. going. Sideways. All right, all right. What are we talk about today, Mike? Oh man, this week let's just jump into it, man. The real news about housing affordability, mm. man. The media, occasionally, majority of the time, gets it wrong, and. What I mean by getting it wrong is they just don't exactly – I mean, they've got a condensed amount of time that they can really explain a subject matter, and they come out with, with the quick-hitting points saying, hey, housing, I mean, housing affordability is on the decline. Well, the typical consumer listens to that and goes, well, what's that mean to me? You know, if it's on the decline, does that mean I'm not going to be able to buy, buy a house? I think the tough thing is the headlines – sometimes don't connect with the story. Oh, God, no. And the headlines are oftentimes either uh, incomplete or incorrect. Right. Misleading. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we all know that, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, that's the stuff that sells all the doom and gloom that Mm -hmm. sells. Very rarely do you hear all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you do hear the good stuff, it's great. But typically the doom and gloom sells, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, in our market market and world. But in any event, the house and affordability... um, in the recent uh, index that was done in association with uh, the National Association of Realtors, uh, also known as NAR, discussed that the basic value for home affordability is 100. So basically, a family earning the median income earns enough to qualify for a mortgage on a median-priced house based on the price and mortgage interest rates at that time. So anything above 100 means that that family has more than enough income to qualify. Now, the problem with this is, or the concern right now is, the index has been declining over the last several years as home values have increased. And some of the concerns is that too many buyers could be priced out of the market. But the index skyrocketed from 2009 to 2013. And you got to take that into account and realize during that time, we were going through the housing crisis and the market uh, had an over uh, over overabundance uh, distressed properties, foreclosure, short sales, and everything else that distorted the home affordability index. Well, I, I think I think it's important for people to know just because you can't get the same deal you could have gotten in 2013 no. doesn't mean that the house is overpriced. Oh, God, no. It just means that you missed your shot in 2013. Well, I missed your shot at the lower price, but when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about where the number is today relative to the last seven years. You've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back to News Radio 1510 WLAC. You are listening to the Money Man Mike Show, where we talk all things real estate. I am your host, Michael Thayer, with Waterstone Mortgage. In the house this morning, we have Mr. Chris Corvoe from Midtown Title and David Lukey from Capital Homes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, guys. And uh, before the break, we were talking about housing affordability. And if you go out on the website, you'll be able to see um, the housing affordability index, or just Google it if you if you have to. But I mean, go to our website, check it out at moneymanmike.net or on Money Man Mike, uh, Money Man Mike Radio on Facebook. But if you look at the housing affordability index from 1990 to today, you'll see that. Over the past, uh, what's two, four, six, eight, ten years, basically, you'll see that there's been this sharp increase that started in 2009, that peaked in 2012, and then all of a sudden this sharp, I mean, extremely drop off the cliff decline down to where it is today. But when you sit there and look at the average and the norm and where the uh, and th- where the numbers are at, remember, 100% is good. Anything over and above is still that much better, and you look back into the further beyond the housing collapse, the numbers are well below the 100, 100 mean average. I think the thing, you know, having done this for so long, the thing that people tend to do is they tend to f- try to find the area that they want, and then within that area, try to figure out the home that they can afford. And if they absolutely have to be in a particular zip code and all they can afford is a condo, that's what they're going to buy. Even if they could buy a 3,000-square-foot mansion someplace else within an hour, they don't, they're, they're always going to go to the area that they want Location. and then look for the house that they can afford within that yeah. area. And they're going to generally buy as much as, of they can, as they can. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, and, and so, I mean, the affordability index and all that stuff, I think, is really great when you're trying to evaluate your long term. I met a young lady just the other day who said that she want, she had inherited some money and she wanted to buy a home, uh, but she wasn't sure that she was going to want to live there for more than five years from today. Okay. And she asked me what I thought. Like, I, I, I honestly had to say, you know, that five-year window, that's tight because you have close, you have selling costs when you go to sell it. That's tight. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's right now. It's I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think if someone was they knew for sure their window was four to five years, would do, you feel good saying you should absolutely buy a home right now? Do they own or rent right now? They're renting right now. Absolutely buy. Really? Why do you want to build? I mean, you don't you don't have any tax deduction for the next five years as a renter. That's true. You know you don't you don't have any kind of forced savings, so you're not capitalizing on the increased appreciation. So if it's located somewhere in the heart of the major Nashville mm-hmm. net market, what's it? What's the market appreciating at right now? Well, it certainly is right now. I mean, right. I, I mean, right now it's uh, in our the zip code where I'm building for Delvin Downs. Last year's appreciation was fourteen percent year over year. All right, cut it to seven. Yeah. Cut it in half. Yeah, that's true. That pays for the commissions. Yeah, and Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of it depends on what how much they're borrowing on their loan. Uh, depends on how quick they're trying to get out. A lot of the data is going to go into the neighborhood itself. Some areas obviously move faster than others, but I mean, it depends on the type of loan that they get. I mean, obviously, you don't want to do an interest-only loan in an yeah. area where you know where you're trying to sell quickly. So, so you said you said an interesting question. You said a very interesting question because at first, when she asked me the question, what I thought, she's a young lady, right. probably you know, 28, something like that. 
I said, oh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of don't don't stretch yourself. Don't put yourself in a bind. Definitely not. And then she said the second part of the equation, which was, well, I just I just received a large inheritance. Okay. Large, you know, relatively speaking. To which I said, oh, well, that does kind of change it a little bit because as long as you feel comfortable that you're not going to put yourself in a bind, you're not going to borrow over your head. Yeah. And, you know, you can, you know, the, then all of a sudden that, well, five years is a long time for yeah. the reasons that you talked about because the probability of appreciation. Mm-hmm. The, the, the definite tax deduction yep, for right. her income, which you know, and so forth. So I, it's funny that you said that because that, to me, is the real answer is are, are you killing yourself to do it? Because if you're killing yourself to do it, you might want to think twice. Yeah. You don't think it'd be there for You don't want to be house poor. But, no. if you're, but at other times in 2013, I would say empty your retirement accounts to buy a house because the, because the values were so great. Right. So it is kind of time dependent. Well, housing housing's going up what over ten percent a year here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was trying to look up here was what the percentage that housing yeah. is going up. We're uh, definitely back above levels before the recession. Well, here's unquestionably we've got, we've got this statistic from the Federal Housing uh, Finance Agency: um, home prices year over year, existing home prices across the country were up six point one five percent. Yeah. And the uh, Tennessee region, which is lumped in with Kentucky, Alabama, and Mississippi, was up 6.9%. And then when you localize it down to like the hot markets like Nashville, then you're seeing the 10, 12, yeah. 14%. So 7%, like I said yeah. initially, I mean, that's that's a safe number to go off of to go where you want to go, Chris. Okay, well, 7%, so it's $7,000 every 100000 I'm, you know, big, big yeah. brown numbers yeah. here. You got a $300,000 house, then you've bumped up $21,000. Oh, we have point. definitely seen that. So, I mean, I mean, that's a very, I mean, you could do that from one month to the next around here anymore. Yeah. Dependent from there. So, I mean, you got to figure your commission probably 6% and then closing mm-hmm. costs maybe 1% to get out of the house at that point in time. So, you're pretty much, I mean, it still made sense at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's def, it's it's definitely a great time to, to own a house, which probably means it's a great time to buy a house. Yes. We were talking to a new client, uh, first-time home buyers. That were doing exactly what you're saying. They wanted to stay in the area where they're currently renting, but mm-hmm. they wanted to buy. And where they are currently renting, it's a higher priced area. Sure. And based on where the lending laws and everything work, I personally know that they could afford a place, but yet some of the lending laws don't, you know, always conform mm-hmm. to what you need or what you would like to have or how you would like an underwriter to look at your particular file. But Yet, just talking them through it and making sure, hey, you don't want to be house poor. You want to make sure you're doing the right thing with your money because they didn't have this big lump sum like like your no. customer was talking about with an inheritance. You know, in the next section, Chris has got something great. What's he just got? pulled up. But I want to talk. To what, I want to get back to what you just talked about, which is credit standards. I want to talk a little bit about are things easing it up. But Chris, what did you just pull up? Well, I was just looking for housing increases and in markets and stuff, and I pulled up the ad from Newswire that showed, and this was done in January of 17, that Zillow has this top 10 housing markets uh, in the United States. And if you can guess what the number one uh, market (laughs) happens to be, which is our very own hometown here of Nashville, Tennessee itself. And it just goes through to explain uh, just the home value indexes over the next 12 months and uh, the appreciation anticipated uh, forecast home value appreciation, they're saying 4.3%. Income growth is 1%. That's less than we were talking about. But the unemployment rate's so low in this area that the uh, 
they just continue to see the national market to continue to yeah. trend up. And we're we're continuing to see from the other side of the equation wage pressure. I, I've, that that wage number may be light. Also, I think they're trying to be conservative, but uh, we ought to definitely repost that article when we get a chance. That's a that's a great article. Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, we talk about the growth here, and it's all driven by the jobs. Yes. So I mean, it goes right into to speaking what you're talking about with the wage pressure. I mean, you know, and I read the National Business. I don't know if anybody else reads the National Business, yeah. but I read it all the time. And every single weekly edition, mm-hmm. it's this yeah. company's coming. Yes, this company's moving this stuff from there. Somebody just moved. Oh, uh, Carl's Jr. and Hardee's just moved their headquarters from California to Nashville. Oh, yeah, because the guy lives in Nashville. The guy lives in Middle Tennessee. Yeah, I missed yeah. that one then. Yeah, you know, and it's it's not it was a couple hundred jobs, right? Yeah, the the gentleman was up for a post in the new the new presidential administration, and it didn't happen. But yeah, yeah and then Bridgestone's opening theirs, but. Uh, yeah, there was an interesting article about the Titans uh, losing their food vendor because they couldn't staff it accordingly, and they promised like 500 people per event, and they can only get like 200. So there's like 300 positions going wow. unfilled. Now those are low paid, lower paid jobs, sure. I get, but I mean that just shows you the void of yeah. of, of workforce, of workforce yeah. uh, that's missing in, in our area. Well, let's talk about lending standards when we come back for the next section. Which standards? Lending standards. Lending standards? Yeah, we'll yeah. jump into lending standards. We'll also get into uh, the bidding wars that we're seeing with. Uh, the spring buying season coming along and why you're having to sometimes offer more than what the price of the house is or the house yeah. is actually listed at. Yeah. Can't spit that out all of a sudden at 11 o'clock this morning. Hey, you've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to News Radio 1510 WLAC. You are listening to the Money Man Mike Show, where we are talking all things real estate and the bidding wars. If you're getting out into the housing market this this spring, you need to be prepared for a fight because it is all-out war. And in a recent article that Bloomberg uh, uh, published regarding the current markets, they said in it's the 2017 U.S. spring home selling season. And listings are scarier than they've ever been. Bidding wars are more than common in hot markets like San Francisco, Denver, Boston, and it goes on to talk about all sorts of other cities. And now they're seeing it go into the once slow and steady heartland, sending prices even higher and sparking desperation among buyers across the country. One of the things that I have to deal with sometimes you know, it takes us six to eight months to build a house. Right. Right. And and so sometimes we'll we'll write a sale for somebody and they'll have a situation, the house to sell or whatever, and they'll right. say, okay, put me closer to eight months than six months. Okay, that helps me out. Yeah. Great. I'll, I'll be happy to do that. And then people are coming in and they go, hey, <laughs> I just saw on the tax records that you just sold this exact same floor plan for this price and now you want to charge yeah. me this price. It's like, yeah, I wrote that sale. Six months ago. Right. I wrote that 14%, you know, 7% ago. Exactly. 7% of $300,000 is twenty one grand. Mm-hmm. Yes, I wrote that sale $20,000 ago. That is true. Yes. What you're saying to me is correct. No, don't get mad at me, you know, and they do. But the other thing that they don't understand, no matter how much I explain it, because I guess because they don't totally feel it in any other place in their life, is those tariffs on Canadian lumber? It's seven thousand dollars on a house. 
I mean, it's, it's, that's the cost. That's not that's – that's the cost, seven grand. And see, that's one thing I don't – you don't hear about in the media. So unless you really know what's going on yeah. and really understand what they're saying when they do talk about it, yeah. when they're renegotiating NAFTA and everything – you don't realize what, what oh, yeah. all the stuff it impacts. Yeah, they, they, I, I have read so few articles about the, uh, the, 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 well, the tariffs on lumber. I just, it's like two, and you have to find them, and you only find them in Trade Magazine. I haven't seen it. I have not seen it yet in a major media outlet. Well, the problem that we're seeing a lot on closings ends are deals are falling apart because the appraisals aren't getting done. Because you can sell your house for. Pretty much whatever you want at this point in time, but they're just not a, they're just not appraising for the value that you're trying to sell it at. Which, you know, I try to think about that at times. I'm going, okay, if everything's just kind of selling at top dollar, how could it not appraise? But I mean, people are just going beyond and beyond and beyond. And what sold last month, there may have been a five or ten thousand dollar bump in, in the neighbor's house that it sold, and uh, the, the comps haven't caught up with that yet. Well, I mean, and that's also there's a time delay. Right, if that's it, the key it, thing. sales are two months old usually, and, right. and they're looking at, they may be looking at the sale today from and looking at closings that are are a month old or two months old. And some areas where there's not as many closings because there isn't as many houses for sale, the clo- the, the most recent closing may be six months old. Your your example with uh, somebody looking at the tax record saying, "Hey, you just sold mm-hmm. this exact house for twenty thousand dollars less." Yes. Or why? And, I mean, that's that's the exact issue is that that recorded sale had not hit the market yet. Therefore, even yes. though we know it's going to, if it's not recorded at the courthouse yet, yes. the appraiser can't use it. So right. I think one of the people have to realize is, you know, they always think, well, what happens if the house – people just assume the house is going to appraise for that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the agent said I should offer is X, and so we should be good. But there are times when the appraisals aren't coming back. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, what's the next option? Well, you have to go back to the seller and say it didn't appraise. You know, does the seller have to come down? No, no, nope. they don't have to come down. They can stand firm on their price. So the options of a buyer would be to uh, either not go forward with it because the value is not there, or write a check for the difference. Let's say it was a hundred thousand dollar house and it appraised or hundred twenty and it appraised for a hundred, then you're getting an eighty percent loan or yeah. whatever that is, ten percent loan down. You just got to pay the difference out of your pocket. And we are seeing people do that because they're just desperate to either be in that area or just have a house. Yeah. It's it's really too bad Andrew's not here today because she has. And you want to t- call someone like Andrea to help you with your purchase because she has a great strategy of dealing with that on the front end when she writes her sales. When she's making an offer, she, and I wish that I could say it better, but she has a really good strategy of yeah. how she deals with that on the front end because she talks about on the front end. This is what's going to happen if the house doesn't appraise. And she writes all that into the contract, yes. so it's all covered. It's in nice. It. It's, it is very nice. You got. She does a really point. great job with that, yeah. and, and, and uh, not – not every realtor does do that, but she has a really good job of setting expectations so that there's not that screaming and yelling and taking it personally. It's it's right up front. Everybody kind of knows what's going to happen, and, and then it executes really well. Yeah, she, I mean, she just sets yeah the expectation. I mean, it's just boom, just beautifully. Yeah. You know, in, in the expectation, that takes us down to uh, so many different roads with this industry because your expectations is the property is going to appraise, but yet – it may not for several reasons, and, and unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't, and you you learn the hard way of what things within your appraisal means and what you can and can't do, and it's not just so as easy as going, hey, let's go get a second appraisal or anything like that because the lending laws are what they are. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but yet the credit and lending standards are um, becoming less restrictive. We're seeing some tightening in certain areas, but to be honest, those areas – 
they need to be restricted some more. I mean, they were big looping holes that need to be tightened up. But the majority of the rule changes to, is is opening up lending. It's it's creating a um, more. Um, so you can't get a second appraisal. Is that what you're saying? You're taking me back to appraisals, man. I'm trying to go to. Appra- I know, but you said <laughs> you just said that it, it stops no. from not getting second appraisals. Well, you know, so it, it I goes back. You know, the second appraisal thing goes back to the '80s. I don't, it does. Neither one. I don't. You guys don't remember this, but I remember back when. Uh, used to fish for appraisals, and there was appraisers. There were, it was a lot of illegal activity going yes. on, and it all focused around appraisers and appraisers being too involved with both the lender and the seller, right. and houses that didn't exist that were getting appraised, yes. and things of that nature, and they were basically stealing money. Appraisal shopping. You call it fishing. Yeah. We call it appraisal shopping. Yeah, appraisal shopping. But thank goodness that's all regulated out of the system now. Yeah, I mean, it, but let's, let, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but jumping forward to lending standards, yeah, are are the credit requirements getting easier or harder today than they were two years ago? Let me lead off with this appraisal piece, so we definitely okay. answer that. The lending standard is if the property, the adjustments within the appraisal and everything meet the guidelines, the lending guidelines, mm-hmm. then it's underwriter's discretion, but Unless there's some major discrepancy, you're not going to get a second appraisal done. Mm. I mean, it's just it is what it is, and some of those rules you just can't overcome, and that's where the seller and buyer have to renegotiate the price. But to get back to the lending guidelines, and the underwriter is going to take on liability if he chooses yeah. to do a second appraisal too. He's going to get examined a little closer, right? Because they they're supposed to remain biased. Yeah. You know, hey, let me look at all the rules. Yeah, I work for this company. Yeah, I want to see this person mm. get the loan, but how does this? Yeah. Meet all the rules, but if they pulled their loan and went to another lender, would another lender know that an appraisal was already done? If it was, if it's a conventional appraisal, no. If it's an FHA appraisal, yes, because FHA appraisals get logged, and you have to use that appraisal for the next six months. Yeah, gotcha. So there there's different ways to get around that kind of stuff. So going to the credit standards, the credit standards have definitely loosened up. Um, you know, there's the the problem that we have is a stigma that everyone thinks credit is. The 760, 780 score, when in reality, 720, 740 is pretty doggone solid credit. In the conventional lending world, 740 is the tipping point. That's really where you want to be. With FHA, they pretty much have used 640, actually really a 600 to 620 up to um, an 850, almost the same. Whereas conventional... Every time you have a 20-point increment reduction from 740 down, then you're going to get an assessment to your rate. If you have to have mortgage insurance, you're going to have slightly higher mortgage insurance and so forth. So your credit score will dictate what you do. But as far as the lending standards themselves, conventional used to never allow you to bring um, gift funds. Mm -hmm. So now you can have 100% financing with conventional. A lot of people think FHA is your first-time homebuyer loan. Reality is conventional provides just as many options for a first-time home buyer. So there's a lot of things that... So you're saying that on a conventional loan, you can now get gift funds from a family member or from anybody? From a family member. From a family member. Yep, you can get your 3% that's, minimum. That's relatively new, correct? Yeah, they recently changed that. I shouldn't say recently, but within the last couple of years. I don't remember the exact date, but yeah. And have you seen um, the... Uh, well, we'll get back to this when we come back from the yep. break. We'll get back from the break. We'll jump back into this and uh, get into some more... Uh, Myth. How to get qualified. Yeah, how to get qualified. That's a good way of putting it. You've been listening to the Money Man Mike Show here on News Radio 1510 WLAC. We'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back to News Radio 1510 WLAC. You are listening to the Money Man Mike Show. We talk all things real estate. You just tuning in and missed any of the show? Check us out online at moneymanmike.net or on Facebook at Money Man Mike Radio. You can catch up on this show and all of our other shows and all the good topics and jokes and fun times that we play on each other in here. But uh, before the break, we're getting into um, lending guidelines. Lending guidelines, yeah. And have they um, um, softened, weakened, uh, opened up, become more accommodating? I mean, however you want to... So let's talk about do, Phrase it. do banks still look at front end and back end ratios or are they just looking at the back end ratio now? What does that mean? Hmm, good question. <laughs> good question. You have the front end that is your housing and then you have the back end which is all of your housing with your other bills. Like everyday expenses. Everyday, well, Child. well every, everyday debt, not expenses, correct? That's reporting to credit. Okay. In addition to if you do have any kind of child support, alimony, anything like that, that will get lumped in there. But- if you have, like many of us send children off to uh, private schools, mm-hmm. that is a bill that's not factored into your credit report. It doesn't show up. Utility bills aren't counted. Utilities don't show up. Okay. So there's all sorts of other numbers that won't show up, and that's why the guidelines are where they're at. And there is a tightening of that that is making it, um, you know, protecting you as a consumer a little bit more, I guess it's the best way to say it. It's going to restrict your lending, so, your, your, your loan, of how much money you can borrow. Right. But yet... So is the so the front-end ratio, does that still matter anymore, the housing ratio? When it's the same as the back-end, when you don't have mm-hmm. any other back-end expenses and you've got the same ratio on the front and back, mm-hmm. when you're starting to push the threshold as far as what the automated approval systems will under, will approve, it they generally don't like it when you're pushing that that level there, the Got max it. level on both the front and the back, because then they're going to say, or the logic goes into saying, All right, you're going to eventually have to go buy a car, or you're going to eventually have to go buy something, and you're going to finance it. Now, all of a sudden, Got it. we can look at you as a consumer today, but the problem we have is, how do we protect you from yourself after you close? Because you can do whatever you want the day after closing. Yeah. How do you, we protect yourself from- So, on a typical conventional loan, or an FHA loan, what is the maximum- uh, total debt per income as a percentage allowed, typically. Depends on what guidelines you're looking at, but you're looking, just say 43%. 43% is kind of the typical. Mm-hmm. And that's the total. That's what I refer to as the back end, correct? Yeah. So if you made $1,000, yeah. you know, I'm a, big, I'm a round number guy, okay? Yeah. Yep. I can only have outgoing bills of $430 a month. Yes. That's included in my house payment or not? Included. Yes. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you're, in if, you're, if you're making $4,000 as an example, you know, you're at about uh, sixteen hundred, yeah, and change. Okay, and what's the what's the front end ratio? What's the frontage percentage? Uh, most of the numbers are. I honestly don't remember it right off the top of my head, but it's thirty one or thirty two. Okay, if so, I'm not mistaken. So if you're making about four thousand dollars a month again, they want you to have your total house payment right around twelve hundred, twelve oh two, something like that. Is that correct? Pretty much something like that, and you can probably stretch that to thirteen hundred if you don't have. Another five hundred dollars in debt month to month, correct? Say it again, so I don't. Let's say, let's say that your car payment's only two hundred dollars a month. Yep. Right. So using the examples that we're talking about, where we're talking about if you make four thousand dollars a month and you can have a total monthly debt of sixteen fifty. Yes. Okay. And you're looking at a house payment that's going to put you at thirteen hundred, which is more than the twelve hundred. Right. But you have a car payment that's only two hundred dollars. Right. So your total debt is really only fifteen hundred dollars. 
they'll probably let you stretch the front end as long as your back end is well within the guidelines. Is that correct? They'll let you stretch both of them because mm-hmm. every loan has to go through the automated underwriting system on the front end. And it looks at your credit profile and your loan profile as a whole. Some of the systems absolutely love reserves. So when you have that rainy day fund and you can show it and you can show it's liquefied or liquefiable, then you will get a 50% DTI. Got it. Okay. But we've recently seen a tightening to where we were able to do 52, 53, 55% back end DTIs. And now all of a sudden we're being capped. Debt to income ratios. Debt to income ratios. And now we're being capped unconventional. Let's stress this too. Unconventional, we're seeing a fifty percent cap unless you're just really. And stellar. what kind of cash reserves gives you that kind of extra flexibility? It really isn't that much. I mean, Give six, mo- six months, three months, six months, six nine months. months, six months of income or six months of expenses. Six months of PITI, which is your principal and interest, tax and insurance of your mortgage payments. So using that. $4,000 a month income that we were talking about. Yep. We're talking about needing to have somewhere around six times 12, which would be $7,200 in reserves. That would more than likely do it unless there's something else in your credit profile. That's fantastic. So we're thinking about a $1,300 a month payment. I was just doing some quick mm-hmm. math, took my shoes off here and counted. So uh, <laughs> I would say the rate. I smelled something. I know. I was no. thinking the same thing. <laughs> you know, I can't count that high. No. Uh, so at 4.5% interest rate, guessing what that rate is, 30 years um, to get a payment around 1300 bucks. that's about $225, meaning that's how, about how much you could borrow. So if you were making $4,000. About 225000 sales price. No, that's loan, loan amount. amount. Loan amount, okay. That's a loan amount of two twenty five. is so, about what I figured. So, so if they're doing a uh, FHA loan, they're looking at a purchase price of about two thirty five, two forty. Yeah, yeah. So if you're or making just using round numbers. Yeah. So if you're making four thousand dollars a month, gross, right? Not yeah. net, yeah, gross. gross. Yeah. I mean, you could probably qualify for around two thirty for uh, for a house, if, as long as everything, as long as your other debt income is mm-hmm. in line to uh, to do that. So that's better than I thought it was going to be. We were yeah. talking about a thirteen hundred dollar payment. I'm going. Okay, you know, trying to look and see what that is, because that's a lot of money still. Mm-hmm. It is. And, uh, but you can own your house for that, but you can't even go hardly rent an apartment nope. for that anywhere. That's right. No. So uh, when you kind of look at that. It's... That is one thing. You were talking about the affordability factor in the first segment. Yeah. That is one of the things that still, the when you look at the rents versus ownership. Oh, gosh, yes. It's still, the ownership is, is on a monthly basis cheaper yes. than some rents in yes. this area. Now, when will that flip the other way? I don't know. It's likely to. I mean, that's the normal is that it costs a little bit more to own than it does to rent. Right. That's normal. Uh, usually when you own instead of rent, you're usually getting bigger square footage. You're usually getting extra amenities like a garage instead of no garage and, yeah. and then tax benefits and so forth. But normally it costs a little bit more to own. But right now it's still cheaper to own than Absolutely. rent. And that's largely because of interest rates the way yeah. they are. Well, I got a good friend of mine who bought a house just two years ago in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine. And, and I've been telling him, you got to buy a house. Buy a house before it gets too expensive. He bought it in January. And I think he paid like three, well, 329 for the house, I think. And he put it on the market. He's buying another house. Uh, and he sold it, obviously, within a day mm-hmm. and uh, for 429 yeah, wow. and uh, so at, basically, in two years, I mean, obviously, expenses coming out, but he's basically made. I'm a, that's what I explained to him. I was like, "So let me get this right. You're going to move in this house. You're going to live there for two years, but after two years, you're going to get a hundred thousand dollar check. Can you move in the house?" And he goes, "Pretty much. That's how it worked out." Yeah. 
Wow. And uh, so he's taking his hundred grand and ha- putting has it down. Has he bought you a steak for that good advice? <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, not yet. I'll hold my hand out for that. But uh, <laughs> do you want me to talk to this guy? I mean, he owes you a steak at least. So, but yeah, hundred thousand dollars just for living in there. But you know, I had a quick, quick question for you too, because uh, I'm not the brightest guy around always, but. You said automated underwriting. What does that mean? That thing just—I mean, you got you talking to a robot, or what are you? What are you doing? And what does that? I mean, does that mean nobody looks at the loan, or, no, or what? plenty of people look at the loan? There's a lot of people that look at the loan. The automated underwriting is basically the entry to the game, and you could have, you know, what you think is an excellent uh, loan profile, but if there's something buried deep into you know inside your credit or what have you, then it might flag it. But yet you run it through there, and I always like to refer to it as junk in, junk out. So when we do a pre-approval at Waterstone, we're actually plugging in your your physical income. That's why we're asking for your pay stubs. That's why we're asking for your tax returns. We're going to review everything like an underwriter is going to look at it. We're going to ask you for your bank statements to look at everything there, your deposit, your credits to make sure all that's going to line up, and plug it into your loan application. And then we plug in your title information, your estimate on insurance, and we run it through – it's like a program. It's a program. It's and the program auto- determines whether or not you can uh, you're going you can qualify for the loan if there's yep. anything anything in your credit information. So that doesn't mean somebody doesn't look at it. That just kind of gives you a guideline that yeah, it looks good or not. The you can't plug you can't program all of the logic for the guidelines into the automated underwriting system, but you can the majority of it's there. So when it we get our approval, it pretty much gives us a roadmap of you know, check all these things off and if you can satisfy all this stuff, you're pretty much good. And then the file goes to a physical underwriter who double checks the automated review, double checks what we entered in to make sure we did the right income, we did the right assets, the whole nine yards. And then in certain areas where they have to go pull the actual rule books from Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, they'll double check to make sure does it meet all these standards. Yep, boom. And when it does, you're clear to close. So who sets the parameters in your under on your on your in, in the automated underwriting is that a, a Waterstone or mortgage by mortgage company? No. Or is that, so or are you plugging it against uh, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, FHA? You have Fannie Mae, which uh, which wrote all the programming for DU, which is desktop underwriter. You have Freddie Mac, who under, who has the LP, which is loan prospector, and every loan pretty much has to go through that unless it's like a USDA that has to go through um, um, Gus or something like that, which is their own proprietary software. Okay, so everybody who's trying to get a Fannie Mae or it's got to go through it. They're they're following the same parameter through the desktop, yes. uh, through the um, through the automated underwriter at that point yep. in time. Okay, I didn't know if like Waterstone was like heavily scrutinized would be heavily scrutinized in that, or everybody's pretty much got the same set of guidelines they're playing by. Everybody has to run through LP or DU, and it's basically their their choice of which one they align themselves with. Okay, so it's not so scary. No, and, and LP and DU are just short acronyms for particular software. Yep, that's all it is. Underwriting software. software. And most of these loans still get bought and sold bought to Fannie Mae, correct? And Fannie Mac. Pretty much conventional. Over, yeah. Pretty much ninety percent I would say. I don't have the factual numbers on it, but everything goes through Fannie Mae Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA or VA. Got it. For approval purposes. And as long as you're going to that automated system and you qualify, it's meeting the guidelines to mm-hmm. be be insured by Fannie Mae or FHA, yeah. which do then allow them to be traded. On Wall Street. On Wall Street at yep. that point in time. Exactly. Okay, well, that makes a little more sense. You were talking about sending the automated underwriter. I'm like, man, what are you de- dealing with robots <laughs> over there at Waterstone or what? Hey, beam me up, brother. I know. <laughs> hey, we got to go. JT is saying we got to get on out of here for the next show, but uh, it's, it's been lunchtime. Yeah, it is lunchtime, man. Where are we going? We need to go to. God, there's a bunch of places we go to today. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> JT, appreciate you doing the show for us, man. Chris, 
David, thanks for being here. You guys uh, check us out on the line, online at moneymanmike.net and on Facebook, Money Man Mike Radio. We're out.